Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Um, today, I have two new friends as guests on the show. I have Mario and Saish. What's up, guys? Hello. What's up, everyone? Uh, okay, I, I like to do this with most, most guests, but um, tell me just like a little bit about yourself, including like how, how like we all know each other. Oh, okay. Uh, a little bit about myself. I was, I guess we started at the beginning, so I was born in Iraq. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, born in Iraq and... Um, Where in Iraq? Uh, in the capital, in Baghdad. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, because of the instability of the region, we moved around um, to Jordan, to Oman. Uh, and then came to America when I was in sophomore year of high school, mm-hmm. to Michigan. Uh, and then uh, did undergrad at University of Michigan, studied neuroscience, uh, and then went to University of Chicago for med school, where I met you, Alan. Mm. Nice. And and, and to be specific, the, the very first time that I ever heard of your name, or, uh-huh. or, or like, just realized that you're a person, I guess, is um, when you sent us all an email to our class oh, yeah. for, for our Google, Google For the Google Drive. Drive with all the med school resources, yeah. Yep. And then when I met you, like, in real life, a year later, I was like, oh, you're, you're the Alan Zoo that... Actually, no, it wasn't a year later. It was probably at one of our... Um, it was probably at one of our MSTP like monthly grand rounds or something yeah. like that. I, I, can't, I don't remember where it was. I just remember like the first time I saw you, we were just like standing like in the BSLC like front entrance like uh, area lobby. And um, I don't remember why, but I just I just remember. And then later on, like, yeah, we, we became closer friends and I learned, oh, wow, this guy's like really interesting. Um, this guy knows all about Orthodox Christianity and Islam and like, yeah, every, everything, philosophy. Um, cool, cool. Where are you now? Uh, right now in Bethesda. Um, so my PhD is um, half at the NIH and half in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm finishing the first half up right now. Uh, yeah. I think uh, three or four more months, hopefully. Okay. okay, yeah. Actually, I remember the first conversation I had with you it really left a strong impression on me because you said you had like two or three goals in life, um, become a monk, cure Parkinson's and then be an astronaut. And I was like, wow, this, this man knows what he wants. And then that, that really, <laughs> that just, I just never forgot that. Um, is that still true? Those three goals? Those are still the three goals. Um, just how, how many of them, if any will be achieved, um, is is up to time to tell. Okay, okay. Well, I'm rooting for you. All right, Saish, how do I know you? Yeah, so that's a pretty interesting story. Um, So just a little bit about me. I grew up in Chicagoland, born and raised, much less eclectic childhood than Mario had. Um, I went to U Chicago for undergrad, just like you, Alan. And I was fortunate to fall into a good group of friends in uh, the South Campus apartments or uh, residence halls more accurately. Um, and some of the people in the year above me like to play basketball a lot in uh, the gym, pick up basketball. Mm-hmm. And you happen to be 
a frequenter of those games as well, if I recall correctly. Yeah. I was definitely not a basketball person, but I got dragged to one of these games because they needed somebody. Mm-hmm. And somebody introduced me to you um, by the name of Alan, like, oh, this is Alan Zoo. And my middle name is Alan, actually. And wow. so I remember we bonded over that. Little did I know that your name was A-L-L-E-N and mine was A-L-A-N. It took a while to figure that out. And then you were disappointed. And I was a little disappointed, but by then the damage was done and we knew each other. Mm-hmm. And then I remember the summer between uh, first and second year of college, we were both registered to be um, orientation aides, helping yeah. new students pick their classes. And we talked about like our philosophy of like how we like to take the classes that interest us and yeah. you take the hard classes, even though they might be a little more dangerous or you know, take a toll on your personal life a little bit. And that's when we really bonded after that. Yeah. It's like that. It's like that extra challenge and that extra intellectual pursuit. Like the fact that that option is there, like, I just want to go for it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'd remember that. Wait, but was the basketball thing before the, like the orientation thing or was it the other way around? I always thought it was because I don't think I would be messing around that much when I was a second year. Okay. Um, first year, I was liable to get dragged around to things and, you know, try things okay. for fun. Yeah. Okay. Because you took all of these challenging classes. Yeah. Yeah. So, first year was all about, you know, signing up for all the commitments that I would have in the future and like clubs and like signing up for harder classes. Second year was when I actually had to do all of them. Mm. I just remember, like, I remember the orientation thing more than uh, the basketball. I mean, I do remember the basketball thing, but. When we were like at orientation, we were standing outside like uh, Kathy Dining Commons and the South Campus dorm. And then like when we were talking about classes, it's like when we bonded over that, it's like a light, like something lit up in your eyes. And then you just in, you just instinctively gave me a hug. And I was I like, did. yeah, yeah. You're like, me too. Oh my gosh, let me give you a hug. <laughs> and then I was like, wow, this guy's, I like this guy. He's interesting. And then I don't know. And then I feel like we just hung out time and time again in like in in the South Campus storms. And then Yeah, I think um I really fell in with the Asian American InterVarsity crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because a lot of them were in my classes. And yeah. then also because you guys are very wholesome and you know, very uh good a lifestyle that appealed to me personally. So yeah, yeah. I ended up becoming friends with a lot of you. Yeah. And then you stuck, we both stuck around for med school. And so, uh, yeah, so there was the opportunity to just stay in touch, which I'm very grateful for. Same. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, just, Alan, yeah. uh, can I say a quick thing about how I first met Saif? Oh dude. Yeah. We got to finish the triangle. How do you guys, how did you guys meet each other? So, um, so Alan, you're a year above us in, uh, in med school. You started at you Chicago met a year earlier, but then Saish and I started the same year. Um, so there's like this roommate list of like people looking for roommates uh-huh. and you have to like list your interests and um, I don't know what you do in your free time and all of that. And I saw Saish's name and his interests were very much aligned with my interests. And and, and I mean, yeah, the, the, the three of us have very, very similar yeah. interests. Do you, do you remember what the thing said, what the interests were? One of them was definitely about books. I think philosophy was one. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just like thinking about um, uh, like, like, like thinking about philosophical questions and, and something along that line uh, where I was like, 
I want to have this guy as a roommate. So I messaged him. I'm like, you know, Isaish, I, I read your thing on the roommates list. Do you want to be roommates? And Saish was like, no, sorry. No, I'm really? just kidding. <laughs> I, I, think, uh, I think more accurately, I said, like, we already had our group. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I had started looking for roommates like much, much later than uh, everyone else. Um, and yeah, but by that time, Saish had found uh, uh, roommates. But, but, but that was like my first, uh, I guess that was the first thing that made me identify Saish as someone I want to, I want to be friends with in, in med school. Yeah, I remember that very distinctly as well, and having to write that email very painfully. Mm. And, uh, we couldn't be roommates. But then I remember we ran into each other on the first day of orientation as well. And I think they had like a bus for us taking us around downtown for the city. And I remember sitting next to you, and we were just talking about our interests. And we were talking about it came to philosophy somehow. And you asked me, like, what's your favorite book of Plato? And I said, uh, I think that's the time I said Gorgias. And you actually knew that book, and you also said it was one of your favorite books. Yep. And I was just yeah. so impressed that somebody else in med school actually knew and was interested hmm. in these what's things. What's curious about? I don't think I've read it. So, so Gorgias, um, it's it's the dialogue by Plato that I think most directly deals with um, nihilism. Mm-hmm. Um, Gorgias is one of the sophists that Socrates had, um, uh, I guess, an, an issue with. And the sophists were, I guess, if, if Socrates and Plato were all about there is an absolute truth, an absolute morality, the sophists were more, um, their the, most accurate thing is, the, to, to summarize them, is man is the measure of all things, that everything is just relative to, to how individual people perceive it, that there isn't really um, absolutes. And Socrates and Plato had a big issue with that. So Gorgias was one of these sophists. And in the Gorgias, it really ends up being Gorgias' student, Callicles, that debates Socrates as to why is it, why does it really matter to live virtuously um, if I can, you know, disengage in the p- pleasures of life and um, uh, and live a happy life that way. And Socrates, of course, says you can't do that. You're not going to be really happy. Um, and he equates it to to life being a bucket of water. And the content person just has a full bucket of water. Mm-hmm. But the person who keeps seeking pleasure is, um, is like the bucket has holes and the water is flowing out. Mm-hmm. And the hedonistic person has to keep filling um the bucket and then and then Calicles says something along the lines of well you know what? it's the act of filling the bucket that's that's what drives my life and what I really enjoy and so that's like one of the very few dialogues where Socrates actually is unable to um to to convince the opposing person um that that at the very least he's he's not not right uh so I I think Saish and I liked it for the same reason that it shows you need some sort of agreed upon basis in order to have any discussion um, that Mm -hmm. that ends up being fruitful. Mm. I remember one of the main points that we at the time said we liked was that halfway through the dialogue, um, 
Socrates ends up um, getting to the, the brunt of his argument becomes that you should let your friends be harmed and prevent harm from your enemies or harm from being given to your enemies because it is through being hurt that people learn to be virtuous. Yeah. And they improve. Yep. And that runs totally against the grain of what you would think normally. And obviously, Socrates' um, interlocutors pick up on this. Yeah. yeah. And that becomes one of the pivotal points in the argument where whole, the entirety of Socratic philosophy gets turned on its head. Yeah. Yeah. Pain plus reflection is, yeah, a lot of growth. Hmm. Well, I should check that out, but I, it sounds like something I would agree with. Wait, is, so would you guys say Plato is your favorite philosopher? I would say he's very fun to read. Okay. Like top five. Yeah. And, and I mean, he's had so much of an influence on everything down the line that you can very, anyone can very easily get away with, um, it's, it's, no, no, it, it's it's hard to like not not like Plato or admire him a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think I'd, I'd say he's my favorite. Okay. There are some famous uh, philosophers. I forgot whom exactly, but one of them once said that the entirety of philosophy is but a footnote to Plato, because he's mm-hmm. the one who really started it. Mm-hmm. And then maybe for your guys' interest, um, Friedrich Nietzsche once said or asked the question. What is Christianity but Plato persevering? Mm. <laughs> you know, I was I, I made a couple of friends with the with with people in the divinity school, and then they were talking about how like so much of the history of Christianity was based on different forms of, like Neoplatonism. And I mean, like, granted, I don't remember most of what he said because it was just so much jargon that I couldn't like really like remember it long term. But it it was definitely interesting to see how. Western philosophy like forms this hybrid with what was originally what Jesus said in order to form like today's like today's Christianity. Um, it, it made me think a lot about you know what are the origins um, of the beliefs that I always assumed to be like you know that I always took for granted. But yeah, it's it's probably why Virgil or no uh, Dante put him in the coolest circle of hell. In the in the coolest uh, circle of hell. Or and then, uh, I guess like cool as in cold, or like cool as in like pretty awesome. Yeah, cool as in pretty awesome. <laughs> I, I I shouldn't have used that word because, yeah, the I guess the the worst circle is literally the the coolest one, as yeah. in being the most cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, a, a lot of a lot of Christian theologians have held Plato in in high regard. Uh, some I've even seen them call him a Christian before Christ. Hmm. Oh, because a lot of what he teaches, like Saish was mentioning, it's 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 that you do what is right regardless of you know any harm that could come to you, and yeah. and more accurately, not, no harm can come to you if if you're acting virtuously. Um, but harm, in in the real sense of the word, and not what we would in, in today define as harm, like I don't know, losing money or. Um, or even being in, in physical pain, these are things that he wouldn't consider as true harm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole point of um, like one of Plato's most famous dialogues called the Apology is it's basically a transcription of Socrates' defense at his trial before he was um, condemned to be executed. And this whole argument is that he feels worse for his accusers because they are performing a sinful act 
trying to get him executed, lying, making up accusations against him. Whereas he, even though he's going to die, as long as he's lived a virtuous life, he says, I am being harmed much less than those folks. I'm not even being harmed at all. Hmm. It's, the, it's my soul that matters, not my body. Yeah, that, that really reminds me of when Jesus is like, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. he's in the process of being like crucified, but then he's like, you know, even though the Jews like wrongly accuse me, like forgive them because they don't, yeah, they don't, they don't know their own sin. So I, I don't know, just interesting parallel. Yeah, yeah. Socrates was also a bit of a troll though. Because when, when they Explain. asked him, they asked him at the very end, what should your, your, you're found guilty, what should your sentence be? And he's like, three meals for life. Yeah, he could have gotten away with just like a fine or something like that. Um, but yeah, the way, basically the way the legal system worked back then was that once you were convicted, you were allowed to petition the jury again, what you think the punishment should be and your accusers would lay out what they think the punishment would be. The accuser said death. Socrates said free meals for life. <laughs> so he probably could have still lived, but the jury convicted him to be sentenced to death instead. So I've been, I, I, so I've been going through a podcast called Philosophize This. Um, normally whenever I do experiments. And uh, Plato was way back, like, I don't know, first 10 episodes or something. Um, recently, I've been going through Kant, and I realized, like, how much, like, I... Like, I just, I, I guess, I don't know what the word is, identify or like just vibe with him. Um, what do you guys, like, do you guys have any thoughts about him? Cause like, I realize like for most of my life, I think I've always been on the side of deontology, um, rather than like consequentialism. And I think that because he argues so much for that, I, I'm like, wow, like this, this, this dude makes a lot of sense. Um, what do you guys like, do you guys have any thoughts on that? I've, I've never read Kant and he's one of the people that I definitely should should read more. Okay. But I do remember Saish telling me that he was part of the common curriculum. Okay. Yeah, and, and that you had to read him. Yeah, I think uh, it was it would be very very hard to go through Chicago without having taken at least one class that makes you read Kant. Okay, um, and I I really loved Kant. I'd say maybe right around the level of Plato, he's up there for me. Uh-huh. Um, as a preface to his philosophy. Uh, one might say that Kant is not so famous anymore because he was so successful in convincing everyone about his views that his views have become common sense. So now it's at the point where you don't even have to cite him. Like you believe Kant, everyone believes Kant, but they don't even know that they believe Kant. Mm. Yeah. yeah. He was kind of the guy who talked about how your intentions matter a lot more than what you actually do. Mm. Uh, he said, yeah, I just assumed a lot, yeah. Mm. He says, like, um, in one of his books, he says, if you're a shopkeeper and a little boy comes up to you and asks to buy something, right, it would be very, very easy to swindle this young boy, right? Obviously, swindling is bad. But if you do a fair trade, like, and treat the boy, like, and make a fair transaction, there's two reasons you could be doing it. One could be, oh, you're doing it because you want to keep up your shop's reputation and if word gets out that you're swindling people, people won't want to work with you or buy your stuff because they won't trust you. On the other hand, you could 
make a fair transaction because the boy is, uh, you treat the boy as a person worthy of your respect, right? Mm -hmm. And that you know that in the ideal world, it would be bad for anybody to swindle anybody. And therefore I'm not gonna swindle anybody. Mm -hmm. And only when you act out of that concern and not the former concern, then you're being a good person. Hmm. And the key with Kant is that like, okay, maybe that was an opinion at the outset of his works. Like people think and think that, but then he goes on to prove that that is how morality works. Hmm. He goes on to prove that if you believe in free will, the only time you are actually free is when you act morally. Hmm. Acting immorally. That's an interesting take. Free. Yeah. Hmm. I, the only, so I think one of the only things I remember from my humanities core class, we just had to say, cause I took a whole year of it was Kant's categorical imperative, which I thought was like, it was just this mind blowing, like aha moment, because it's basically saying that morality can, morality can come from rationality or from some kind of reason, which like I had never really thought much about at the time when I was a freshman in college. So I think and at the time I had a lot of like, you know, thoughts or you know just thinking about hypothetical situations like you know like we we say we say that lying's wrong or stealing's wrong and then like if you ask people why it's like oh um at least maybe my church friends is like oh because god says so in the bible right but then i was like what what if in an alternate reality like some other fictional universe like the bible just didn't have those commandments or jesus didn't say anything about them so then would we think it's like okay to lie right would our society like still survive and then Kant's categorical imperatives to say that, um, assume that your actions can become universal law. So if I, if I, let's say I borrow some money from Mario, but then, cause I'm a crappy person, I, I have no intention of like paying him back or anything. If everybody did that every time they borrowed money from the bank, from each other, then society would probably like it, the, the society as a whole system would not, would not be able to function and thrive. And so that creates this paradox. And then through that, through that rule or that, you know, formula or algorithm, like whatever you want to call it, um, you can deem it like immoral because if you're, if your action becomes universal law, society just doesn't work. Um, so I don't know. I just, when I just applied like that categorical comparative to like all these, all these things that we deem moral or amoral, I was like, oh, wow, that like actually makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's I think that's probably why Kant's probably one of my top three or five philosophers. But yeah, yeah. <sighs> anyway, this wasn't even the original reason that we wanted to record. Um, <laughs> okay, so so if you're still listening, if you're still with us, if you haven't fallen asleep uh, hearing us talk about philosophers, um, we actually we were actually in a Facebook chat yesterday, and we were talking about. Um, Thanks to another episode I recorded, we were talking about like getting bullied when or picked on when we were young. Um, and like, I think how we've all had common or similar experiences with that. Uh, and I just, I just thought it'd be an interesting topic to explore. Cause I don't think, I don't know if everyone experiences it or at least I don't even know. Cause I never asked, but you know, were like, were people, were other people picked on the same way I was when I was younger? Um, so I just wanted to ask you guys and, and how it shaped like how you, who you became and how you saw the world or like, you know, behaviors that you now carry as an adult. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I guess, I guess 
Mario, were, were you ever picked on as a kid? Um, I, I I think I've had a similar experience to to what Saish was mentioning yesterday uh -huh. in the chat. Which I'll, was sorry. I'll, 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 let, I'll let him go first so that I can sort of piggyback off of that. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I would say that I never really felt like I was bullied, like in the classical sense of what you see on like Nickelodeon and kids shows and in the movies. Mm -hmm. Like I never had my head slammed into a locker, never got a swirly in the toilet. Right, right. I, I never even had any verbal abuse of any sort. However... Uh -huh. I had my head slammed once or twice. But oh, anyway, keep going. Yeah. For real? Really? No, no, yeah. What? Tell tell you about that? Well, think I mean to be fair, I think it's not like it was totally unjustified. So I guess so I was in seventh grade. Um and then I was friends with this uh guy from like whose family was from India. So he was Indian, right? And I think I think he had a lot of pride in it. He, he'd always like hear on and off, like just say like how great India was for X, Y, or Z reason. Um, and then I, I just like, I don't know, sometimes I'd like to push his buttons, you know, by saying like, oh, like, like, yeah, whatever India or something, you know, um, or like, I don't know, just like say, like say, say something to like provoke him. And then one time I, I think yeah we were at our lockers and then I I don't I, I I don't remember what I said but he basically like grabbed me by the jacket hood and then like just like you know just pushed my head into the wall and like dragged it like a door or two um oh. yeah and so yeah that that kind of that kind of sucked but um it wasn't it wasn't like super aggressive or anything it was just like Oh wow! Like I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that, and uh, that kind of hurt. But yeah, oh, not not like uh, the Nickelodeon, like uh, hey nerd, and then like you know they just they just like really like ram you into the locker. But I have a question for you then. That's yeah, an interesting situation. Who was the bully? Oh, uh, good question. Because because you can't you can't just say it was just him. It was I mean I I provoked him right so maybe he felt insulted or insecure and then just, you know, physically retaliated, even though I, I was the one who started it. So, yeah, but do you feel you're the victim? I mean, at, to some extent, yes, because. Was it well, a disproportionate response? Yeah, I guess I just I wasn't expecting like a physical response like in like to what I said, you know, cuz like so I think at the time like and sometimes I still do this. I I sometimes like to provoke friends as well, you know, and like that was that was kind of the intention. Um and so like to see him like kind of like, you know, to see him pissed enough to like just do that to me like I was like, "Wow, like that that feels kind of hurtful." Um, and in that sense, like, I can feel like I'm the victim, but, you know, I guess that doesn't mean that I was not any kind of bully of sorts. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you asking that? Cause you're like, you know, 
you know, it's, it's not just like, there's never just one perpetrator. Oh, no, I mean, I, I was just asking because uh, you, when I heard the story, uh -huh. I, uh, I felt genuinely confused. Oh, uh, okay. I see. But yeah. I guess um, just to I keep going with what I was saying earlier, I never really felt bullied uh -huh. um, as a child. Um, that said, I was always a very sensitive kid. And I would, in the absence of actual bullying, I would uh, come up with ideas think about regarding the social hierarchy that's always present in these schools, you know, especially in elementary school. I was never like the cool kid, right? Mm -hmm. Like I got along with everyone. I had friends, but they were definitely the ringleaders, even at like the tender age of seven or eight. Mm -hmm. And um, I would always be extremely perceptive of that, even today, sometimes in certain ways. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that I realized was that I was only at the bottom of the hierarchy when I allowed myself to be in a certain hierarchy. And so if that's confusing. I would say like, yeah, if there's a social hierarchy, maybe I'm not at the top, but I can always make myself feel better about being at the top in another respect. And growing up, that might have been me identifying with the fact that I was smart, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. uh, I figured out that I watched a little bit more documentary television than my peers at that age. Um, I was good at math. I did Kumon which was my little extracurricular activity outside of school. Nice. What's that? It's, a, it's this uh, Asian program for teaching children how to do math and reading well. It, um, it's like this It's like this Asian-American stereotype. Like, oh, my parents made me do Kumon. I, I actually never did it, but my parents made me do like more math at home than what school required. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I did all of those things. And I realized that like, I could impress people by doing those kinds of things better than them, telling them facts. Even when I was very young, I, would, I was like a serial liar in a way. Sometimes I would, make, I would just make things up to impress people. Like about, about yourself or about other things? About other things. Like um, I remember one time drawing an asterisk on a whiteboard and telling them that this was a letter in a certain Indian language. Which is clearly not, not true. Uh -huh. um, I remember I also had a play date with a friend one weekend. And then when I got back um, on Monday, everyone asked, uh, what did you do this weekend? And then I told the teacher that I went to India on a trip. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember seeing my friend's face. <laughs> and then we had a little mini lesson about like, where's India in the world map? Like a planet. Uh, you, you pointed out for everybody? Oh, it's right there. Yeah, yeah. I, this must have been like a maybe third grade. Okay, wait, so then how did your teacher respond to you saying, I went to India over the weekend? I mean, she just made a lesson out of it. She didn't question it. Mm. Oh, okay, okay. She wasn't like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't feel proud of it, but I do think that on the one hand, being forced to like think of these things and come up with explanations for things helped me develop a more scientific, rational mindset, thinking of how to explain things to people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't do that anymore because I don't need to. Hopefully, I, I know real things now. Did, so, did you feel like you wanted to get to the top of some hierarchy? In this case, being smart because you just had this desire within yourself to be like liked and respected. I think so. Yeah, I I wouldn't say I was conscious at the time. 
Uh-huh. I would say like, I really enjoyed the validation, much like everybody would enjoy validation. I assume. Yeah, yeah. For something benign, right? I, I was really, I was really similar, like, um, cause I remember at like, in like second grade, I was like, I was like known for being the guy who like was the fastest on like the math flashcards. Cause like the teacher would have us like, like do a one V like one V one with, uh, um, like just go around the world, like around the, around the classroom. And then like, you know, it's, so it's like me versus someone else. And then whoever is faster, like and gets to the answer like wins and then moves on to the next student um and so like i almost made it around the entire classroom until lexi beat me but then i think that's when i realized like oh i I think i'm kind of bright compared to like other kids my age um but then i also but but then there's like you know then there's like stuff where i feel kind of embarrassed where like in third or fourth grade i'd always like try to brag like or i'd always like say like oh like that math worksheet was so easy. Like I remember just like raising my voice and like wanting the entire like classroom to hear it, you know? And then Mrs. Coughlin during parent teacher conferences would be like, Alan, Alan likes, Alan always says, oh, that's easy. Like to the rest of the class, like he wants to be seen as smart, you know? And then I was like, like looking back, I was like, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's out of some kind of insecurity, but um, yeah, that continued for fifth grade on I think for a while, you know, just even, even, I think I stopped trying to say, oh, that's easy once my reputation and like for taking high school math as a middle schooler got around and like that validation was nice. And then, you know, like maybe a couple years later or a year later, you realize, oh, like it's still kind of like, it's still kind of empty, like thinking that that's all you're known for or that's who you are, you know? And then I, I would say like later on in high school and college, like, oh, I, I made friends for like who actually knew me, like for who I am and not just as that boy who skipped a grade and like, like took crazy AP classes or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. So it's, it was just kind of like this long journey of like thinking I wanted respect, but all I wanted was to be known to be accepted. Um, I don't know. And I feel like that's, I, I, I mean, that's something I get from the people I keep in touch with, which is like, you know, you guys too. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I will say that when I was younger, I definitely also wanted people to, to know that I was smart. Huh. Um, and, and, and like, uh, in, in a bragging way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that there, there was a point where this was like back in 2000 and I want to say 2008 or 2009, whenever Facebook first started, um, uh, th- that I post my grades on like <laughs> <laughs> straight A's, Mario shows. If you go yeah, back to, if you go back I, I to, I definitely regret in, in hindsight. <laughs> Is it still on Facebook? Uh, I, I deactivated my Facebook, but, but I think I, I, I feel like I deleted them at some point. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, I wonder if, 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 if there is a really smart kid who, because I'm, so I also met a really smart, um, kid in church, like three or four months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was talking, he's like a fourth grader and he's talking about, how Margaret Thatcher mishandled the Falkland Islands in the 1980s. 
Wait, he's and a third or fourth grader? He's a fourth grader. Oh. Um, and I was like, wait, how did you find out about this? And he said, oh, I'm just reading the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. And, and there was an article about the Falkland Islands. But he was also, I definitely felt like he was trying to show how smart he was. Yeah. And so that got me thinking, do all smart kids try to show how smart they, they are? Or is there like a genuinely humble, really smart fourth grader? <laughs> or, or is that something that develops later in life that, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? Because um, for me, like I stopped being like that when I think in around seventh grade or something, somewhere around that time, my dad like, would always tell me like, you know, um, you know, he'd, he'd speak to me in Chinese, you know, which more or less means like you, you need to think less of yourself. You need to be more humble, you know? Mm. Um, and I don't know, eventually, like, I guess his words got to me and I was like, man, like I look really stupid for trying to brag. like people really don't like me because I'm trying to brag, you know, man, like I, yeah, like, yeah, Richard from church would always complain, like, dude, all he, all he likes, all Alan likes to do is brag. And then I was like, wow, like, yeah, like arrogance is annoying. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost like this. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I mean, it's hard to speak for everybody, but I think all, all, like most children want some kind of like recognition you know or validation and then i don't know they mature and then realize like what 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 kind of validation they really want you know um and it's not from just intelligence i i hope for at least most people but yeah i think yeah i think me like me like trying to brag and then people getting annoyed by that is also why like i got picked on you know like, cause it's like, oh, like Alan's so annoying, you know, and then people be like, go away. And then that would just feel hurtful. Cause I, I looked for validation and then I got like rejection, you know, in a certain sense. Yeah. Mario, were you ever picked on as a kid? Yeah. So, um, I was thinking about this last night. Um, and, and it was really interesting to remember these things. So. From first to maybe the beginning of third grade, I was somehow at like the top of the social hierarchy <laughs> for, for very funny reasons. Um, so I, I started in first grade, I started a group uh, called the Power Rangers. What did you, what did the Power Rangers do? Uh, we each had like a different color. So I think I was the Red Ranger and then um and it was there were four of us um we were just very close friends and then people started asking to join our group mm -hmm. um and we ended up being i think six or seven and then we stopped taking in anyone else and so there was like this sense of um exclusivity to the group that uh -huh. for some reason other kids were like trying to join and we were saying no sorry you have to form your own groups and then people would try to form and then they wouldn't get like more than two or three um and was this when you were still in iraq this was in oman, oman. so so okay. i left iraq when i was two years old went to jordan left jordan when i was um 
five and a half mm-hmm. and started first grade in Oman. Um, and so, yeah, the same thing continued in second grade, except in second grade, we were the, um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, dude, I love that video game when I was a kid. I played on the yeah. SNES. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a great show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that continued. People still tried to join. We were refusing. And then in third grade, I guess, I don't know if we maybe grew out of it. Um, two, of, two of the core members of the group left one to Palestine, one to um, one back to Jordan. Um, and so we kind of disintegrated. And then starting from third grade, um, yeah, uh, I, I, I left like the elite top 1% of the social hierarchy and, and gradually fell. Um, and I think that's when, similarly to Saish, I, I tried to compensate by, by sort of establishing like an intellectual hierarchy. And, and I think at my school, it was, it was, um, there already was a social hierarchy and an intellectual hierarchy. And, and the social hierarchy was like, you know, the, the people who were best at sports or who had the, um, the newest PlayStation 1 or PlayStation 2. Um, but there was like, I, I think the kids themselves also, also respected a sort of intellectual hierarchy. Um, uh, n- not to the same extent as a social hierarchy, but it was something that was there and was acknowledged and and there wasn't really ever a picking on the, um, the the smart people. So I think I was I was sort of insulated because of because of that. Um, and then in sixth grade, I had like a brief ascent in the social hierarchy as well because for some reason I was like good at basketball for for two months. I didn't know this. And then, and then that, it was just like two months where I was like really lucky for some reason, and then I was bad again and descended in the social hierarchy. Um, but in terms of acts of bullying, um, I don't know if this is bullying or not, but in s- seventh grade, um, we had, for our physical sciences class, um, we had an exam in like three days. And then the teacher asked, asked us to remind him to, to, for him to give us a, an exam review. So before the teacher walks into the class, one of my friends tell me, Mario, if you remind this guy to give us a review, I'm going to beat you up after school. <laughs> uh, because he just didn't, he didn't want to do a review or anything. He wanted to have like a free time. Mm-hmm. Um, or just like the, the teacher talking without asking us questions. Mm-hmm. Then as soon as the teacher walks into the class, I raise my hand and then I look at my friend and I tell the teacher, you want us to remind you to give us the review today. <laughs> then my friend told me, all right, just wait until after school. Did anything happen? Uh, we, we went behind the school and we fought. No way. <laughs> but it, was, it was like a seventh grade fight where um, you just try to make the other person fall to the ground first. It wasn't like fist fights okay. or anything. Okay, I was a little uh, worried. <laughs> yeah, and then and then... Uh, he made me fall, and then we got up and we shook hands. And... <laughs> Very civil. 
Yeah. Um, in terms of, yeah. So I think I, I didn't, besides that, I didn't really have that much of, uh, of, of like bullying experience. But then it was also that um, I, I, I was, in a sense, a little bit insulated from my friends um, because I was the only Christian in the school. Hmm. Um, so, so there was always that sort of small barrier between us. Um, we were, you know, we were still really good friends and everything, but there was always that thing in the back of our minds that um, I was a little bit different. And well, okay, so yeah, I guess I, I hadn't thought of this as bullying, but there was an incident in second grade where um, the biggest guy in my class, uh, I, I was in the bathroom and then he entered, uh, I, so I was just like washing my hands. Uh, and then he also entered and started choking me. Um, I think I've told you this, Alan, before. I think I remember I, this. I, I don't right. know if I've told, I don't think I've told you. Because you were the Christian, right? Because yeah. I was the Christian. And the day before, or the weekend before, and in Muslim countries, they have Friday sermons. Um, and they project them from the mosques. Uh, so like if you're standing by the mosque, you can hear it also. And he was just like walking in his neighborhood and he heard this um, imam talking about how we must forcefully make everyone Muslims, whether they like it or not. Uh, and him as a second grader, you know, that's like you hear something like that from an authority figure. And you're like, that is the truth. I have to do it. And the only non-Christian that I know is this guy or non-Muslim that I know is this guy. So let me try it out with him. Um so yeah, he chokes me, he tells me to convert to Islam, and, and I say no. Um, and then the son of the principal of the school walks in, and he like gets him off of me and gets the teachers. And um, yeah, so yeah, I, I guess I didn't think of that as being bully, bullying before, but maybe in a sense it is. Um, How old were you again at the time? Uh, I must have been around seven. Oh, wow. Okay. What yeah, and, uh, he got like a three-day suspension. Uh, um, and then after that, we were really good friends. <laughs> I mean, it was it was. I mean, a, a seven-year-old can't really. He he wasn't doing it out of malice, so much as that's what he heard and that's what he was being told, and so he did it. And then, you know, his parents explained that's not the right thing to do, uh, the school explained, and, uh, and then we became really, really good friends, and I'm still in touch with him to this day. That's and awesome. He's a, he's a great guy. Uh, I did not expect that. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I, I guess I'm curious, like, did that, have, that having happened to you, like, at seven years old, like, did that affect the way that you saw, like, Islam as a religion, or... Yeah, um, I, I don't think it really affected my my view of Islam too much. If anything, I at that age, I don't think I really understood what was going on. Mm -hmm. uh, so I feel like we've talked enough about our past, but um, yeah, it's good seeing you guys. We'll have to do something else next time.
Yeah, this was really nice. Yeah, it was, I, I always enjoy your fun too. But, yeah. Good seeing you both. Especially Mario for so long.